Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space and welcome to episode number 147. My guest in this episode is Dr. Shushmita Patti, and Dr. Patti is a professor of pediatrics at Stony Brook University and Stony Brook Children's Hospital, and she is also the chief medical program advisor for the Alan Alda Center for Communicating Science at Stony Brook University. If it sounds like I'm smiling when I say that, it's because I am, because that is awesome. This is a fantastic and timely conversation. The demands on scientists as a whole to be able to properly communicate with the public effectively, conscientiously, thoughtfully, and most importantly, with impact has never been greater. The challenges that we face have never been bigger. This coursework, this curriculum, the, the, the content that we discuss in this show is so exciting. It's so novel and it is really effective. I learned about it recently and I am so excited to now know of it and to be able to talk about it with Dr. Patti is just an absolute treat. One of the best parts about it is that it's, it's so inclusive. It's scientists as a whole. That is, that is a huge, wide, encompassing term. I can think of a bunch of pals of mine that are not physicians who I would love to do this coursework with. It's a fabulous conversation. There's tons of links. There's, there's content around their upcoming immersion course, which if you're available to do it, just do it. Before we get to this amazing conversation, I do want to just invite all of you to please come and check out the archive. This is episode number 147. The archive is packed with great stuff. It's evergreen content. You can go back into the archive and find our earlier episodes. They're just as good as the day they were published. You can find me on social media, Twitter at ETS Show, Instagram at Explore the Space Show. You can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. You can obviously find our website, www.explorethespaceshow. And our podcast is available on all of your favorite podcast platforms. So wherever you like to get your shows, definitely download Explore the Space. Please subscribe. It really helps the show out. And if you have that opportunity to leave us a rating and a review, that is very much appreciated. Speaking of appreciation, talking with Dr. Pachi was just an absolute treat. I've just been buzzing since I learned about this project, learned about the Alan Alda Center for Communicating Science, and talking with her about this work was just, it was just fabulous. It was timely. It was great. Without further ado, Shushmita Pati. Shushmita, welcome to Explore the Space. You are doing work that resonates with me. I'm very excited to talk with you. Thanks so much for having me. I want to go backwards. As much as I want to jump right into the storytelling, the mentorship, the communicating science and how we can do it better, I want to start there, but I, let's, I want to press rewind a little bit. I, I want to start a little bit further back at the beginning. We talk on okay. this show and on social media, there's a lot of conversation around how do we get physicians, physical scientists, life scientists, and the great work that they do more forward-facing, more available to the public. Because for such a long time, it feels like we haven't done that work. And our best stuff is behind firewalls. It's in what I like to call PubMed hell. It's left a vacuum for the public and nature abhors a vacuum. And so other things will fill that space. It feels like this is a really important driver to move the needle back in the other direction. But I'd like to start in a place where for you, 
you're an experienced physician, you're a professor of pediatrics, you've been a scientist for a long time. Was there a point at which you started to feel like our narrative is getting lost and I want to be part of finding it again? For sure. Uh, you know, I think I've done, as you say, a lot of, worn a lot of different hats. And um, in all of my experiences, whether I've been working in improving our clinical care delivery, in the research area, or and even in medical education, what I really have experienced is that when we communicate well, that is absolutely fundamental to our success. And whether that's communicating with colleagues, communicating with the public, communicating with whomever our stakeholders are, whomever the audience is, it's such a critical component. I'm curious, did you have, because our training was probably fairly similar, our experiences in the sciences has been similar, but you and I, I think, are both also in the minority of mm -hmm. realizing that this is something that needs emphasis, but not just emphasis, but specific, tailored, thoughtful education and coaching. Yeah. Was there a specific moment for you where it was like the light went off? Or was it more kind of a gradual progression and recognition that this is a gap? I think, you know, it's obviously there's the personal experiences that I've had. I'm a daughter of immigrants. Um, so my parents came to the U.S. in the 1960s um, from India. And so, you know, I grew up in an environment where sometimes people had trouble understanding my parents because of their accent. Um, sometimes my parents had trouble understanding cultural references that were not the usual thing for them. So I've always been aware of the importance of communication, and that has really um, framed my experiences. And we all get trained in medical school around communicating with the patient and how important that is. And I think what we don't have as much training on is communicating with each other. We do it great in codes, you know, in emergency situations. We're fantastic. But most of the time, we're not dealing with a code, thankfully. And um, that's where we just haven't had the same kind of training or support. And it's such a critical piece to being successful. It's interesting to hear you say that you were informed by your experience as the child of immigrants, because it's helping me to reflect too. I'm also the child of immigrants. My parents came from South Africa. And so there you go. the cultural references then and now sometimes are elusive. Um, my parents mm -hmm. accent over time has just kind of faded. My sister and I never developed an accent. We were both born here, but I can sure. specifically remember as I'm sitting here thinking about it, times where friends, colleagues would be we'd all be kind of talking or something and my parents would say something and you could tell it did not register that either because yeah. of the accent or turn of phrase, something got missed. And I'm now I'm sitting here thinking, gosh, is, did that in some subtle way inform my interest in this? Because you and I share <laughs> this interest and that's yeah. really fascinating. Yeah. 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 It is really interesting. Uh, same as you and your sister, me and my sister, we grew up here in this country born and raised here. And so we don't have any accents. Um, at the same time, we don't have the parents who have the same cultural references. So some of the things that would people would talk about in the normal course of conversation 
we had no idea. You know, the 50s in the U.S., we didn't know what any of that was, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so it's interesting. But I think we can draw two of these points together to really inform this conversation. It's this idea of, as you said, we speak in, we, we have a dialect in medicine for sure. We know that we speak in jargon and you and I can communicate for 60 solid minutes in a language that 95% of the population would not understand. And that's not because that's we're right. smarter than them. It's just because that's the training that we got. Yep. We also know that when we do that, we leave people out. And mm -hmm. so that is a very important gap that we need to close. For me, it feels like one of the really interesting things about the project that is happening with the, the, the Alan Alda Center for Communicating Science is the area around how we can do this better with patients. But what I'm very interested in is how we do it in terms of translating our message, learning how to get comfortable, learning how to share with the public to be more yeah. forward-facing. In the milieu of your work, how much of an emphasis is it to sit down with one of the scientists, to sit down with one of the researchers, to sit down with one of the physicians and say, let's talk about not just how you orient and, and converse with a patient or your team, but when you pivot and face the public. Yeah, well, you know, more and more, I mean, physicians have been asked to speak to the public many times in, yeah. uh, you know, through the course of current events, the measles outbreak, the, um, you know, the need for flu vaccination, um, the importance of vaccines, all of those things physicians are called upon to talk about um, with the public and um, as are other STEM scientists. And so the core um, trainings that uh, and workshops that we offer through the Alda Center are designed to help people have an experience, have a, a workshop experience where they're, they're talking about other things as a sort of starting point and then think about how that can translate to communicating about their work in ways that are clear and vivid to the public. So that is actually the core piece, the core purpose of the workshops um, that are offered through the Alda Center. I think that that is so exciting and innovative and that's why I wanted to have this conversation because we do get more and more, I would say, material around how to co communicate better with patients, how to communicate better with teams. I would certainly mm -hmm. not assert that we are where we need to be around that. But I think that the yeah. awareness of that is is improved for sure, especially since kind of I went through my training, seeing what's out there now and just seeing the awareness of it is definitely higher. What you all are doing, I would say, we are nowhere close to being where we need to be. <laughs> And, and the stakes are equally, if not more so, as high because the message isn't at the bedside. The message is being broadcast. The message is being right. live streamed. It's being tweeted. It's being filmed. It's, it's a big, big deal. Mm -hmm. What is your sense of scientists' awareness of that gap, of the public expectation and desire to hear them speak and recognizing the impact that their words are going to have? Yeah, you know, it's very interesting because I do think um, things have changed uh, in the last 20 years about in that area. I think scientists are becoming more and more aware of the need to communicate the importance of science. I mean, especially right now in the era where science is being challenged, fake news, fake science, we hear that a lot. Um, and 
at the same time, there the trends in terms of funding for science, um, the National Institute of Health funding streams, budgets, all of those kinds of things are being put at risk. Um, and so I do think scientists are seeing that be uh, more and more important. And there's also expectations from funding agencies to have some component of dissemination to the public of work that is done with funds. Um, so that's sort of a standard expectation. And then scientists are being also asked by the media more and more to comment um, on scientific studies and explain their findings, um, the limitations, uh, those kinds of things more and more to the general public. Um, so I'm see I, personally, I see that trend and I don't think I'm alone in seeing that trend. Um, and I think that other organizations are, are getting more interested, especially the ones that fund scientific research and scientific studies, medical studies. Um, they want to see that dissemination happen. This is very informative for me, and I'll tell you why. If some, I'm gonna I'm gonna walk away from this conversation with probably a lot of things, but I think the key is you have just reframed for me what is it what is at stake, and it boils down to two words. If I'm taking on board what I just heard you say correctly, and I'll ask you to tell yeah. me if I'm interpreting what you said correctly. When sure. we as scientists, physicians, researchers, nurses administrators are asked to speak to the public about the work that we're doing or about a public health challenge, there are two pieces at stake, credibility and funding. And mm -hmm. I can't think of two things that are more important to keep the work that we're doing alive. Yep. I think you hit it on the head. So recognizing that what is on the table are the fundamental drivers, the rocket fuel for us to do our work. Give me a sense of the engagement that you're getting as people are learning about this project. I just learned about it five, six months ago. Um, uh -huh. As we're, how is it beginning to resonate? How quickly is it rippling out? Because as you've laid out for us, there is a tremendous amount at stake. And I would also say real opportunities for impact and improvement and making a difference. How much resonance are we getting? What, what size boulder did we throw in the lake here? <laughs> right. So, um, well, the Alda Center has, is actually now celebrating its 10th anniversary. Wow. Um, we're very proud of that. That's awesome. Um, so, yeah, it's great. It's great. And um, we've trained more than 15,000 folks. What? Um, scientists and healthcare professionals. Yeah. Wow. 15,000. <laughs> so that's a decent boulder for sure. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and you know, all across the world, um, in the U S in Canada, in Europe, in Africa, it's all over. Um, and, um, organizations, um, have come to the Alt Center asking us to run workshops for their scientists. Um, everyone from the Gates Foundation, um, Bloomberg, Chan Zuckerberg, um, universities. Uh, so, um, so we've, we've really had the opportunity to workshops, to do workshops and training with, with a, a, a lot of different people. And we want to continue that. And so we are really proud of, of what we have to offer and, and hope to continue to offer it. One of the things that you and your organization have done that I really liked 
and found to be very inclusive and warm is that when I look at the the sort of, I think it's the mission statement, we work to help mm-hmm. scientists interact more effectively with the public, politicians, the media, and others through the science of communication. I mm-hmm. liked one thing in particular. I liked that you said scientists. It feels mm-hmm. very inclusive. It feels very broad. And it also puts a lot of weight on this, that there's a lot of people with skin in the game. I, mm-hmm. I would suspect that was a very intentional choice. It was. Uh, you know, Alan's original idea uh, came out of his experience uh, hosting Scientific American Frontiers, the PBS show. Yeah. And when he was doing that, uh, he would ask scientists to talk about their work. And he realized that using these improv theater techniques was helping them communicate their work more clearly and more vividly um, through use of storytelling and those kinds of techniques. And that was the original idea. And he has been wholeheartedly committed to it. Uh, He, uh, you know, donated quite a bit of money back in 2009 to Stony Brook to set up the center um, and has continued to personally champion its efforts and be a spokesperson for it. Um, and of course, you know, that extends to the medical profession as well. Uh, you know, obviously as an iconic figure from MASH, um, he has a, has a really um, strong presence uh, that has had a huge impact across the world. And uh, he believes that these techniques can really help all of us communicate more vividly and clearly. I love that the word improv came up because as you'll probably remember before we started recording, I shared with you that the style of this podcast is it's like good improv. The conversation will go where it wants to go. And I talk about that on the show a lot, that this is the way we set this all up. So that is a really nice way for you to bait the hook with me for sure. Um, (laughs) But I've also had the opportunity to look around and get a sense of what these workshops look like. Can you offer a few of the levers that if, if you were to be in a room with a group of my colleagues, a couple of hospitalists, a couple of surgeons, maybe mm-hmm. an administrator, maybe you know a couple of the nurse managers, a couple of the lead nurses, we're sitting all together mm-hmm. and we're going to do a mm-hmm. workshop. What are some mm-hmm. of the levers that you're going to pull and some of the skills that you want us to leave that room with so that we are better equipped to communicate the science that we do with the public? So one of the key things in our workshops is that they're experiential. And I'm going to use a phrase that I think will be familiar to a lot of healthcare folks. See one, do one, teach one. (laughs) Yes, indeed. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. I can see the central line kit. I can see the the LP set. Thanks a lot. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So... Um, this is the doing <laughs> oh, one. <man. laughs> so, um, it is an experiential thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, and it's really about uh, active listening um, and building those skills, exercising those muscles. It takes practice. Yes. This is not a one-shot deal. Um, all of that, I think, resonates with our, <laughs> with our colleagues in yeah. healthcare. Yeah. One of the things that happened for me in hearing you, you you talk about that and using that analogy, when I had the opportunity after being an attending for a couple of years and feeling like I, I, I didn't want my practice to stay the way it was for the rest of my career, I had the opportunity to have some coaching sessions and to have some really great mentorship with a, still a great friend and mentor, Steve Beeson. 
right mm-hmm. around the same time, my wife, who's awesome and smart, said, let's, it had nothing to do with anything. It was just something fun to do together. We did an improv class. And mm-hmm. one of the pieces that came out of the improv class was the concept of yes and. Mm-hmm. Putting that yes and in my pocket, in my interactions with patients that I'm seeing, teams that I'm leading, meetings, is really powerful. The, those fundamentals of improvisational communication, whether it's acting, humor, sadness, whatever it is, that yes and and that that mentality is is extraordinarily effective. Yeah, hundred percent. And we talk about that in the in the workshops, and we actually do exercises that build on that first rule, yeah, <laughs> the yes yeah. and rule. The yes and um, rule, yeah. Yeah, and the other rule of making your partner look good. Oh, for sure. Um, Which is so great, yeah. too, because actually, I, I really appreciate that you said that. Over the last few months, one of the themes that has come up in a multitude of podcasts that we've done, and also is just something that resonates with me is the concept of as we rise, we lift. And it's mm-hmm. that same idea that if you're going up, you want to bring others with you. And if you have Absolutely. the opportunity to bring someone with you and then get them higher than you, that is an opportunity yeah. not to be missed. That's right. That's so then, right. Yeah, so, no, I mean, that's a reframing of how we may think about things. Yeah. Um, that's not necessarily how we, uh, the culture in medicine <laughs> oh, no, I agree with that for sure as well. Yeah. So then yeah. how does that translate into, let's say I have the opportunity to speak about gun violence in front of an audience. And I ask about that because mm-hmm. I had the opportunity to do that over the summer. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a fundraiser called Rock the Ride in Napa, California, and I was one of the speakers. Mm-hmm. The conversation went well. The audience was very engaged. What are the things that would help me to be better at that because I want to be better at that. There will be more opportunities for me, for my colleagues, for my friends to speak about gun violence and any number of subjects that we can think about. What are the things yeah, that sure. if we can draw together the the yes and, the see one, do one, teach one, how does that provide that rocket fuel so that I can be better? Well, again, I think practice. Yeah, it yeah. is, you know, that for sure it's practice. This is not a sort of tips and tricks kind of thing. Right. Um, this is really about practice. Yeah. Uh, you can't learn to play the piano without practice or play tennis or anything else, you know, for that matter. And so practice is really important. And the fact that you're intentionally working on this, choosing to make the choice to, to work on connecting is also important. That's a really important choice. And, and, and I really appreciate how much effort that might take, you know, just as we make the choice to connect with our patients, when we go in the room to take a history and and start a conversation, making the choice to connect with a colleague, making the choice to connect with a, with the public, it does require making a choice. I like the idea of giving the person being asked to speak, helping them recognize that they have agency over it and they have control mm-hmm. over it. And then adding in the piece about practice, you, you do have to get your reps. It's just like you get really good at doing, you know, you become a world's authority at interventional cardiology, not because you get a matrix chip put in your head, but because you practice yeah. a lot. You do case after yeah. case, you study, you review, yep. you learn, you make mistakes and you get better. It's the same here. And I think that giving people that, central dogma of something that you've already done, the same thing translates to 
engaging with the public effectively about the work that you do, I think that's really smart because then it's, you've already done this. This is not new work. It's just a different, you're just going towards a different objective. Mm-hmm. For, for sure. 100%. I agree. How do you like to set up the workshops? Is it whoever wants to be there? When, when you've done mm-hmm. them and you've been a part of them mm-hmm. or helped set them up, what mm-hmm. sort of what what helps them to function the best in terms of mixing up the the people the titles the roles what what makes the workshop really really sore yeah well it's it's team taught that's the first thing um so there's always a so for example in our healthcare workshops it, there's a medical facilitator and an improv facilitator so my partner in facilitation is an improvisational uh, expert, you know, someone who has a background in improv, um, and we've worked together to um, talk through what exercises we're going to be doing, how, you know, through, and so it's, it's a very, it's a curriculum, just like any other curriculum. And that is, that is really very important, the way that we work together to develop and create the workshops and think about the evaluation. The participants, there's a, a variety of options that we have in terms of how we uh, offer the workshops. So we have what we call immersive experiences where we hold workshops in New York City uh, and people can apply to attend those workshops. They're usually two-day immersive experiences, so you get a real deep dive, an opportunity for professional development, um, a chance to unplug, um, try a different way of learning. And we also do uh, what we call on-the-road workshops. So for an institution that wants to bring us to their their uh, to their site, and we do on-site workshops. And in those situations, usually the institution or organization has an has a group of participants in mind that they would like to have the workshops. So you, in your role as the chief medical program advisor, you get pretty uh-huh. granular. You actually get in the room and and help conduct some of this. I do. Yes, I have. That must <laughs> I have, be really I fun. Yes, holy cow. In, in in the list of like highlights of your career, which is a sturdy career for sure, this has got to be up there. Oh yeah, no, I I'm really enjoying this. Holy cow! Um, yeah, yes, and and you know, as I said, I think I you know all of my experiences, personally, professionally, have really brought me to this point where I really believe these are important skills. Um, and that's why I'm devoting my time and effort to it. Yeah. Um, when you present this to scientists, you know, when this all started and even now, what are the mm-hmm. common barriers? What's the common pushback? What are the, the common things that you hear when you say, this is the work that we're doing. This is what it's like saying terms like improv. Yes. And there's two, you know, that's this just the whole the whole milieu of this because it is different and the concept yeah. of the objective is a unique and important one talk about the pushback a little bit yeah well um you've gotten at some of it already people are trying to figure out well what exactly are you going to ask me to do <laughs> because uh they get worried that we're expecting folks to to do comedy, right? That's oh, usually what people think of sure. um, first thing off the bat okay. when, we, when we say improv. Yeah. Um, and that is not what this is. 
Um, so um, improv is also like you and I are having a conversation. Right. We didn't script it. Right. Um, and so this is this is that sort of approach and thinking. And so people think about, you know, come in thinking improv might mean X, Y, Z. Um, and we talk we try to sort of um, reorient to to what improv can mean in multiple arenas. So people are pretty heavily preloaded with thinking like they need to be they need to be funny. And and for a lot of people that can feel really intimidating or really hard. Yeah, often often. I won't say everyone thinks sure, of it of that course. way. Yeah. But uh, but often that's what first comes to mind. They think of Saturday Night Live or Second City, right. something. Yeah, like yeah. So what is a success story then? What is one of those ones where someone said, I'm I'm reluctant, I don't know how to do improv, I'm not funny? Something along those lines, but they they step into the tension and participate. What is the what is the hundred and eighty degree change after a workshop look and feel like? Yeah, yeah. Well, well. I mean, I think you know the testimonials. Um, we have them on our website, oh, of yeah, course. But for sure. But many people um, come out of these experiences saying this was one of the best professional development experiences they've ever had. Yeah. Um, because it of of the experience itself. One of the things that we talked about a little bit ago was the the idea of the use of the of the term scientist. It makes it very mm-hmm. inclusive. Have you found mm-hmm. that there is a particular branch of the sciences that this resonates more with, or is it pretty much everybody's able to jump in the pool and the benefits are about the same? I think everyone's able to jump in the pool. For sure, we invite everyone to jump in the pool. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, the benefits... Uh, you know, it's a really wide range. It really depends on the individual and their, you know, what they're interested in getting out of it, how they think about applying these tools in their work. Um, and that's some of what we work through during the workshop is to help them think through that. So it is about application. I, I just... <laughs> I love the idea of this being open to all of the sciences and the scientists because I'm thinking back to when, like when I was an undergrad. So I, I went to UCLA mm-hmm. for undergrad, and uh-huh. I think that some of my professors. I was a history major, so I had two mm-hmm. very specific sets of curricula happening in parallel, and the skill sets around communication, by and large, were very different. And yeah. one of them was much more resonant for me, and I'm obviously I'm just one person, and one of them wasn't. And so I like the idea that we are honing in on all of us to have the opportunity to get better. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm a a glass half full kind of person. So I always look at it in that way. Do you find participants by reaching out specifically or do people reach out to you or is it a bit of both? Uh, it's a bit of both. At, you know, um, uh, you know, at this point with our 10 year anniversary, we um, have a lot of people calling asking for, you know, workshops at their institution. Um, we have plenty of applicants for our, you know, two day immersive experiences. So um, it goes both ways. Yeah. So let's get serious. When I next am in New York, how do I get to do mm-hmm. one of these? Because this sounds absolutely bananas <laughs> and I'm in. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's great. Um, so we are holding our medical immersion. Uh, the next one is in early October, okay. October 7th and 8th. Um, so the application is open and available. You can go online and 
fill it out and you know there you go there you go that's really good improv because we just got you the yeah. first time the first plug and and there's more plugs to do because I, this is right. this fits with the motif though right this fits with so many things that are of import to people in the sciences number one we're proud of what we do number two mm-hmm. is it it's it's difficult and hurtful when what we do and are trained to do and feel strongly about is discarded as as you said fake news fake whatever fake science it's mm-hmm. it's not and mm-hmm. we are adaptable and amenable to feedback but the dismissiveness is very very challenging and so the opportunity to really be armed properly with the ways to overcome that are so important is that uh, has the mission changed over the course of the last four or five years or is it still consistent or do you feel maybe a different way of asking that question is is there a different sense of urgency I, I, there's definitely a different sense of urgency. I think we all feel at the center yeah. um, as people are calling and asking about what we have to offer. There definitely is a different sense of urgency. The mission hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. Um, the mission has, has always been um, what it is in, in terms of helping folks to communicate more clearly and more vividly. Uh, the urgency has definitely ramped up. Do you get feedback from non-scientists saying, you need to hurry or you need to access more people or you need to, what, what sort of feedback do you get from people who aren't in the sciences who learn about this project? Yeah, well, I, th- you know, um, you know, we've been really fortunate to have some fantastic partnerships with um, philanthropists and funders um, who recognize that. And, and, and they're not necessarily, the ones who do the outreach initially are not necessarily scientists themselves, but they're interested in, making sure that science communication is getting out there, is better, um, is more clear, is more vivid, more impactful. Yeah. I suspect that that's going to continue because there are so many pressing items where scientists need to speak up. I had an episode previously, and I love to bring this episode up. I, I, was at, I had the opportunity to speak with Mona Hanna-Atisha, who's a pediatrician like you. Uh-huh. And yes. she brought up the point that, Speaking about physicians in this case, that we carry a megaphone and that we need mm-hmm. to keep it turned on and we need to use it. And mm-hmm. we do, but we also need to know how to use it properly. And I think that, that that junction point is really important. And for me, right, you've been around for almost 10 years and I found out about you six months ago. This is why I'm so <laughs> excited and enthusiastic about this. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree um, with all of that. I think it's such an important thing uh, to keep in mind. We are privileged to have the opportunity to hold that megaphone. Um, And I think we absolutely need to think about how we can use it to help our patients and families. Do we also have the chance to go a little bit further upstream and get to the scientists in training to get to the medical students, to get to even undergraduates that want to go into the sciences, how far upstream in the training pathway are people able to, to benefit from this? Would you say? Yeah, absolutely. No, we go all the way upstream. So, um, so um, in fact, um, we have uh, workshops for medical students, for postdoctoral students in the STEM facilities for graduate students. So we go all the way upstream. And, um, you know, we do not go so far uh, as of yet um, in terms of going to elementary, middle school, um, high school. 
but of course, I know there's plenty of efforts in that that area as well um, from our colleagues in education. So this is this is great. Uh, it's, it's so exciting that this is happening, and I love it. Let's get let's get a few more. Let's get a little bit more specific. Then there's the event coming up in October in New York. But yeah. how else mm-hmm. do people who are hearing this or come across the Twitter feed or come across the project, however they get to it, where are the places that people can find the the Alda Center for Communicating Science and all of these amazing workshops? Yeah, yeah. The website really is the best place to go yeah. because that's where you'll be able to see everything that we have on offer um, and figure out what might work best for your particular situation. So that's that's where I would send folks. And that's the that's aldacenter.org. You got it. That's the one. Yep. And that'll, that'll be in our show notes. I actually really like the Twitter feed too, at aldacenter. I follow it. Yeah. Uh, it's almost 20,000 followers now and it's all kinds of good stuff. So I, I've actually found that to yeah. be really useful as well. That's great. Glad to hear it. Yeah, for sure. I really appreciate you taking the time to to kind of open my eyes about this this amazing work because it's so important, it's so valuable, and I will also say it sounds like fun. <laughs> it is fun. I really enjoy it. Um it is really a lot of fun and um it's meaningful to me and I really enjoy it. It's terrific. Thank you so much for coming on and talking about it. I want to do one of these for sure. And when I get that opportunity, we'll circle back and we'll do a Redux podcast around what did it look and feel like to actually get to participate in one of these workshops. But until then, thank you so much for taking the time to share with us and, and for for doing this amazing work because it's it's wonderful and it's important. Thank you so much. And I hope, um, I really look forward to us doing the debrief afterwards too. That would be a lot of fun. It'll be great. Absolutely. Thank you so much. You take care. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.